Fresh back from Israel, one of the lucky people that was there during Israel's 70. Today being the 5th of ER and a an Erev Shabbos. Uh, not only can we speak with Mr. Holmline about what it was like being in Israel for Israel's 70, but we can get his thoughts about today, which just like 70 years ago today, was the 5th of ER on an era of Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, Chag Sameach, and welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Chag Sameach to you. I could spend the next half hour, and I might just do that, asking you about Israel 70 and what it was like. Uh, give me your impressions as uh, as you sum it up for us. What was it like to be there and experience what was going on in Israel 70 years later? Well, <clears throat> I wasn't there 70 years ago when they had the initial <laughs> celebration, but I can uh, say that the unity that both Yom Azikaron, the memorial day for the 23,000 plus who died to make Israel possible, who who sacrificed their lives in defense of Israel, were victims of terror. But then, and this changeover to the to the joy of of uh, Yom Haatzmaut, which this year took on special significance because of the seventieth. But to me, the most memorable moments is when the siren goes off and everybody stops. I mean, literally, people stop in the middle of highways to get out of the cars. Everybody stands at attention. Bus drivers. Cab drivers, the people in the cabs, and certainly uh, civilians on the street. And it's a moment of national unity, a reminding of the common challenges and that these are everybody's children, because everybody in Israel knows somebody, has a relative, a a friend who um, paid the ultimate price. And the uh, celebrations that took place were quite beautiful. I went to one that was especially meaningful at the president's house, where they honored 120 soldiers with medals of distinction, presidential medals of distinction. Mm. And the front row were a number of people with special disabilities of all kinds, both physical and other. And to see their faces beam and how the audience gave them a special reaction and the prime minister shook hands and the others, the people, the president, of course, paying attention to them. But you see the, the faces of those 120. It, it was such, it covered the spectrum, both in color, origin, everything. Um, many of them were women, many uh, Ethiopians, many people obviously from Russian background by the names. And many from people. And to see them all together and on that stage as the prime minister, defense minister, president, chief of staff uh, saluted them and awarded them. And the the uh, and most of all, the attention paid to the families, to the parents of these young people. Mm. It, it's It was so remarkable. And I had some people with me and non-Jews. Uh, John Bancher was there, Monica Fra- uh, Crowley from Fox News and others. And they were really overwhelmed by the experience. And they picked up on that, about how the families were reached out to and how they were honored as well as as the kids, mm. the young people. Uh, well, you, you said that uh, everyone stood at attention, Yamazikaron, Israel Memorial Day. Unfortunately, that's not 100% true. We have the videos to prove it, where not everybody, right. unfortunately. Uh, and, and how it is that there are... 
uh, certain institutions that will fly Israeli flags who no doubt are hesitant to do so, but whose leaders are not ready to uh, stand up and say that everybody, in fact, should be praying and should be acknowledging the losses, especially since it includes not only soldiers, but as we always say, the victims of terror as well. But I guess that's not for today. Today is a day of celebration. Today is a day of 70 years later. It was an era of Shabbos back 70 years ago when the state was declared, when the Jewish world was sitting with bated breath, literally. And those who know history, we discussed this yesterday I, I, in one of our conversations, I think it was with Michael Oren. They, the, the, there was, and Ben Gurion had tremendous opposition. I mean, this day, 70 years ago, there was still plenty of rhetoric, plenty of arguments, plenty of, 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 uh, uh, of suggestions by really responsible people who would be part of the future Israeli government not to declare a state. He really made a move that was, I wouldn't say unilateral, but in many ways was unpopular. For some, to some people, it was unpopular, and that's what leadership requires, is that sometimes you have to make a decision, taking into account all the factors. Israel faces many critical decisions now. You know, regarding Iran, you see the events on, on the Gaza Strip. Today, even, again, um, some people were killed, or at least one was killed, <clears throat> and uh, how the... People were reacting to it, and Natalie Portman pulled out of getting an award in Israel because of these recent events. Uh, but the, you know, the challenges remain. It's not again. People focus these days on the celebration, although the political infighting in Israel never stops. That's something that wouldn't even be feasible. Um, I don't even think Hagadish Baruch Hu has the ability to stop. That, um... Well, yeah, I hear you. I mean, I, look, I felt the need to point out that we, that there's not 100 percent cooperation when it comes to both the morning I, and I, the celebration. One hundred percent, but but I don't. But I, but I, that's me. Uh, of very course. much. Uh, and you saw, you know, that there was a video that went, went viral of a yeshiva, I think, in remote Bishamish or something. It was in Beitar. It was a yeshiva in Beitar. Yeah. Did you see that? Where yeah, it's, it's the, the Rebbe or the principal. It's Yeshiva and Beitar analyze having the students analyze a picture of a of a of a young boy mm-hmm. hugging the grave of his father, and yeah, uh, that's great. And uh, and, and I'm not, and I don't I really don't want to focus on on the minority. The reality is, even from here, even from here, we had a lot of conversations, a lot of people yesterday, seven hour program in honor of the seventieth, and it, it's it's obvious even from here that there was a tremendous amount of unity, a tremendous amount of good spirit. I mean, I spoke to people yesterday after our show um, who are orthodox or those who are not many who are non-orthodox just to get their impressions of what went on yesterday and there was a tremendous spirit among jews around the world because of this great celebration because of israel 70 and I'm not, i don't want to minimize that at all today's a very important day and a very important day for unity and a very important day for celebration and that's one of the reasons that I asked you just to describe what it was like over there. Because, and and by the way, the the air shows and the singing and dancing and the the mobs in all the parks, the barbecuing. And and did you see the drone show? Did you see that video of the drone show? I, I don't know who is genius enough to come up with this, but a series of drones flying in the air that, that together uh, depict different scenes of Israel. I don't know if you saw, but it's absolutely remarkable. Uh, I saw it was done on Yom Yerushalayim. And I was sitting near the prime minister, and he was a little upset about it because, you know, if they can do that with these little drones, and they were forming a mug and dove and right. transferred into the Lion of Jerusalem, right. transferred into other things, right. which is what I'm sure you saw. Sure. Uh, but he's saying, you know, that that can, that technology can be used in very negative ways too. But the the beauty of and the creativity of of some of these uh, events, and seeing 
you know, in the, the parks in Yerushalayim, I mean, you could not get near a lot of them because of the crowds and the, every street lined with the cars parked and families coming together, uh, extended families. I can't tell you how many people invited us uh, to come to barbecues. Who, who, um, and, you know, they hardly know you, and they... It's just really a spirit that is amazing. My kind of crowd invite everybody to come eat. In 1948, and again, be patient with me. This is a week where I get to do this. In 1948, 6% of the global Jewish population was in the new state of Israel. Today, it's 46%. How amazing is that? Mayor Weingarten pointed out yesterday, now it's one thing. To, to spread Jews throughout the world and, and go through that experience of 2,000 years ago. It's a much greater miracle, the Kabbatseinu Yacha, that they come together from the four corners of the earth to get to one place, and now 46% of world juries in Israel. And the projection is that by 2048, the 100th anniversary, Israel will have reached 15 million people. Unbelievable. And right now they're at six would have thought they're at six and a half million Jews and they're at eight point eight million people. Uh, and the birth rate amongst the Jews is going up. It's the highest amongst the developed developed states in the world and and increasing by, by every count. Men would live an average of sixty four and a half years in nineteen forty eight Israel. Today it's over eighty years old. Wow. Um there are two Institutions of higher education in Israel, 1948, today 62. And the GDP, you ready for this one? The GDP, the gross domestic product statistic in 1948, just under 26 billion shekel. Today, you ready for this? 1.2 trillion shekel. And we've been emphasizing, of course, like everybody else is, what Israel means to the world of technology. By the way, someone mentioned to me on Wednesday night at the Yomatz Mood program that, in fact, the government of South Africa and the local government of Cape Town begged and then allowed Israel to come in to help solve the water problem. Did that, in fact, take place? Did they finally cave in? Well, I don't know if they're, how official it is, but yes, they, they did allow. And now, but I don't know in the end whether they they uh, will go through it or whether it was rejected. It's still not clear. Unbelievable, I'll tell you. And as you even s- if it means sacrificing the interests of their people, you know, as long as they they don't have to show that they're doing business with Israel, it's uh, it's so remarkable what people are willing to sacrifice. Look at the Palestinians. What Abbas yep. sacrificed on the part of the Palestinian people and. You know, I had friends and others who went down to Gaza. There were many trips. The friends of the IDF had a trip there. We had the Council of Secure America, which is the oil and gas people. They came back so excited, so overwhelmed, and tell saying how different it is than they perceived. They took a helicopter up north, and they said, "That's all you see. The wet, the country. You see the, you know, what what is going on? Number one, the development. And they say, you know, the national bird of Israel today is the crane right. because construction <laughs> is so widespread. It's incredible." I mean, in every city, big and small, you're standing on the rooftop on Yerushalayim and you look over and, and you see cranes everywhere. But Netta Lee Hirschlag, whose great-grandfather was murdered in, in the concentration camps and who was born in Yerushalayim and who went to day school, who went to day school on Long Island, what are we doing wrong, and changed her name to Natalie Portman. She's not happy with all of this. Where we've gone wrong, I don't know. But I did remind this audience very often yesterday Remember, Mr. Honline, only 16% of the Maraglim came out with a positive word. 84% of them 
we're comfortable saying bad things about Israel. So why would we expect differently these so, days? And I told you what I, I told many non-Jewish audiences. Who can name the ones that came back with a negative report? Right. And there's dead silence. And you say, <laughs> who came back with a positive report? And everyone will be standing on the streets yelling, Joshua and Caleb, Joshua and Caleb. Said that's the lesson of history. Those who stand with Israel are remembered forever. Those who speak against Israel are written off to history. Yep, 100%. And, and we see it so often now. Look, you know, it says, Ben Israel, uh, that only a fifth of the Jews, right. according to some interpretations, left Egypt because 80% had assimilated or turned to the other side. And what is happening in America? We see the vast assimilation, acculturation, and, and uh, the loss every day of hundreds of Jews to our people. And it's, it's a tragedy and a travesty that we have to, to work in every way to, to counter. By the way, I might even argue, and this might be a stretch, that even among those who are non-Jews who are supporters of Israel, they too are remembered in a certain fond fashion years later. Of course, absolutely. And I saw it now with these people from the Council of Secure America, the others who came, there were 40-some U.N. ambassadors. And I spoke to them at the airport and asked them about the impression, and they said it is so different. Some of them got up and made speeches there about you know how they feel they were misled about Israel and you know what the true Israel is like. Uh, I see it in the in the football players we we take through America's Voices in Israel program, and I, w- I just wish we could do so much more to counter the quote Hollywood you know uh, um, experts who who uh, boycott and engage in BDS or BDS light uh, that that all of the people come there all they have to, and I tell them there's only one thing you have to see and that's the truth that's Israel's strongest weapon. And all of them come back, and especially this group of, from the from Oklahoma, North Dakota, Texas, um, these oil men and gas and and related. How how they got it, and how excited they were, and how they talked about the follow up, and talking about themselves about making another trip in six months. And the same thing true of of virtually every group when they're given a chance to see the real Israel and to learn about the facts. And you know what the problem is that even in our community, even amongst your listeners. People think they know, but our, but certainly their kids and their grandchildren don't know. Yeah. I'm going to Shabbos to be in Great Neck for those who are in the neighborhood and want to come to Great Neck Synagogue uh, on Shabbos Day several times speaking. And, you know, I find that even in the most committed communities, in the most uh, devoted Zionistic communities, still when, they, when, they, when you look at the children, you find out that they're vulnerable because they haven't really been educated on how to answer and to, to give the facts. I heard someone say yesterday that they, that we as parents and grandparents simply cannot stop, cannot stop telling them about it. It has to be drummed into them. And it's and, so true. And by the way, you know, as you know, it was last week on the March of the Living, and it's true about that, too. And while I don't believe you're obsessed with the Holocaust, and that that's not the message of what Judaism is to our young people, we have to show them the positives. But they have to understand the history, behold, Darvadar, to understand, to be aware, to be able to recognize it. When you see the ugly faces of anti-Semitism rising in our own country, you are reminded about how important it is that we educate our kids and how they do it, I think, is something we can discuss and that special curricula can be developed, and there are uh, ample sources available. But the the fact is that they don't know because when they ask students, not not Jewish, but overall students, more than half didn't know what Auschwitz was, had no idea what happened there. I think there's a real vacuum. 
somebody this week was uh, was a presenter. I'm trying to be very careful how I say this. Was a presenter at a major event that had nothing to do with Israel, but was that happened to take place, you know, on the days of uh, Yom Hazikaron Yom Atzmud. So I made a suggestion that you know, with that number of people in our community gathered, even though many of them, you know, generally would not be aware of these days, it would be an amazing opportunity to mention the twenty plus thousand soldiers, the, the the significance of seventy years, even if it's a passing comment, just to because because the majority of the people there will not experience any of this. And the message I got back was, "I enjoy your sense of humor." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what I got back. I could show you the text. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSegal.com, on the NachumSegal Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. By the way, I mean, obviously, this has happened many times before in many different forms, but Shmuel Sackett... Uh, tells the famous story that when he was in, in the United States one time, he lives in Israel, he was in the United States during the Celebrate Israel Parade, and he was in a modern Orthodox community, relatively modern Orthodox community, and he asked everybody over Shabbos, you know, how, how are you getting to the parade tomorrow? What are you doing? What do people do? And they laughed at him. They laughed at him like, parade? We would go to the parades and that? And, I've, and of course, I, I, you know, I understand the, the level of importance of a parade in the big picture, but you've stressed so many times that just that gesture by thousands would be, you know, very significant and looked at significantly. But the, re- and, but the, and the message it sends, and the message of the absence of people right. sends a message but, as well. But even, if, but even if people, people had alternative things that they were right. doing to celebrate Israel, Correct. maybe you could justify it. And even, and even if people are not going, it's one thing, but to laugh about it as if, you know, we would go to the parade, what are you kidding uh-huh. me? So, anyway. It's well, you you are thank thank God your plane landed on time. You're an amazing sounding board, Baruch Hashem. All my frustrations I get to take out this morning is fantastic. And speaking of frustration, it seems that Barnard students are frustrated. They voted to divest from Israel. It seems that over fifty NYU student groups are talking about a boycott of Israel. You know, as much progress as we make, it seems the college campuses drag us back down each and every time. Well, it's not just on the college campuses, but they are the battleground, and we've talked about this for how long, and about the obligation of parents to, to, to work with their students, encourage their students to speak out, the students themselves to be speak out, and for us to provide them with uh, the, back, the, the backing, whether it means uh, legal cases to provide their right to speak and to protect them and get and to mobilize the alumni and and pro-Israel faculty, which is rare to find, and to go after the administrations. And I find that the lawsuits that the Lawfare Project and others are bringing really do have an impact. The universities do not want to be sued. And so we have to use every tool at our means to make sure we can't write it off and just say, ah, it's youthful exuberance, it's, you know, they change when they get older. This is the next generation of leadership, and they are being poisoned. All right. All right, everybody wants to hear about the strike on Syria. Give me one more regarding Israel 70. It always seems to me, as I've followed the news a lot over the last few decades, it always seems to me that Rosh Hashanah and Hanukkah are the times that the Israeli news uh, gets press releases about new archaeological finds in Israel. With Israel 70, did anyone say a word? Did you get any word about anything new, about any new development in the area of archaeology? Uh, Actually, I did. I'm sorry. 
and there are, I mean, there are many new discoveries. Um, and John and Monica went to the city of David, <clears throat> and they were so blown away, having been there, not been there for a couple of years, seeing the progress and how much new has been discovered, that you can walk all the way on the, the road in which people were Ola Rego, where the pilgrims walked. 2,000 years ago to the temple, and you come up on the on the uh, foundation rocks of the of the wall of the western wall yeah. of the Kotel, and that there's a new discovery now because it always people had said, well, there's no evidence of a Davidic or uh, um, dynasty or King Solomon and a powerful uh, Judah. Now they found excavations, a new excavation, which uh, indicates that there may well have been and and in one case, and this information I don't know if it's out public about how they allied with a powerful Judea kingdom. So more and more stuff comes out, and as always, it's always substantiating Tanakh. Unbelievable. All right. Um, oh, and one last thing. I'm sorry. I don't know if you saw this item, but they ran out of Israeli flags. They couldn't stock enough Israeli flags for this celebration. That says it all. Thank God people were ready. And you to see sell. them on cars. You see them on rooftops. You see them at at street corners because people are selling them, they're hawking them everywhere. But they, uh, but you're right; it is it is everywhere, and people proudly uh, fly it. And I have to say that when I looked up in the sky and you see the fluttering Magen David, and and you think about, especially coming after Auschwitz, you think about what what things were like 71 years ago, yeah. and you see what it is today, and you see the influx of Jews from all over who would have had no place to go. You see the the progress that Israel has made. I mean, it's just a source of, everybody should have such pride, and, and we have so much thanks to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to God, because all of this is such a miracle. And as Michael Oren said yesterday, his grandparents would never have believed this. And, and, and when people say that, they mean it. They literally would never have believed that this could be possible, and that if you would have asked them what will Jewish life be, you know, 100 years from now, back in 1918, <laughs> they, they would never have guessed that this is what it would be like. It's just unbelievable. And, and and such an opportunity for national messages. Such an opportunity. Rabbis of all backgrounds, of all types of congregations, and Jewish leaders who are spending this weekend in whatever forum. Such an opportunity for real national messages this coming Shabbat, this coming weekend. I'm sure, Malcolm, tonight that's going to be the focus of, of, of your talk. Here's an opportunity tomorrow, in, to, uh, tomorrow rather. Sorry, but didn't, didn't mean for you to work even harder. I'm sorry, <laughs> but but I mean th this is the opportunity. Stop with the minutia. Stop with the minutia, everybody. Use this opportunity for a strong national message. Speak to us, all Jewish leaders out there, about where we are going as a nation at, in this period of time. Okay. Um, so the strike on Syria, missile strikes versus Syrian. Chemical plants. The president declares mission accomplished. Would you agree? Maybe in a narrow sense, but the fact is that is that Syria's chemical weapons capacity remains largely intact. That the um, you know that they suffered a humiliating uh, assault and and that the missiles obviously did a lot of damage, but it did not wipe out their chemical weapons capacity. And we see that the Syrian army is continuing its assaults in larger and larger areas, capturing more and more territory. And the increasing presence of Iran and the growth of the technology that Hezbollah as well as Hamas have, and, you know, that they were, they were demonstrating some of that with the new IEDs that they plant along the roads, these explosive devices, 
and uh, unmanned um, drones. Uh, they even have kites that they fly, which carry Molotov cocktails. Uh, I mean, that's low tech, but creative. And um, and of course, the drone that flew, flew into Israel. So, I, I the mission, the specific goal may have been achieved for that uh, strike. But the fact is that unless America stays there and stays in Syria, and I know it's not always popular, but it is critical, America cannot pull out of Syria. We are going to turn it over to the Iranians in the long term and in cohorts with the Russians. You see the negotiations that are going on only include Russia, Turkey, and, the, and, and um, Iran. The U.S. is not, uh, is not even in the talks. U.S. still can play a critical role, and I think President Trump and the new team with Bolton and Pompeo, I think we can, uh, hopefully we'll see a, a, an assertive, consistent policy that will, that will in fact address these issues. And, and ultimately we can say mission accomplished when you see a stable Syria, when Assad is out, when the people of Syria can elect a, a government and you don't have Iran continuing expansive uh, policies. And it's not just in Syria, it's everywhere in the region. And Turkey also uh, uh, increasingly um, increasing its footprint, and Russia, too, with the base in, in Sudan, uh, as well as their bases in Syria, uh, naval and air force bases there. Comparable to Ehud Barak's administration leaving Lebanon and uh, and essentially just, you know, leaving... And, and pulling out of Iraq, a U.S. Uh, out of Iraq. Right. I understand we don't want American boys uh, to be killed, but I do think that, that there has to be a, a balance where we can... And be supportive. I think we should be supporting the Kurds. I think we have to support others who will have be a balance in, in, in Turkey and to delimit the capacity of, of Iran with 80,000 people in their Shiite militias and maybe more to, to dictate the ultimate uh, outcome of this conflict. Uh, Russia introduced a Security Council resolution against these missile strikes? Oh, yeah. And, and I, I don't know if you know offhand, what was, but, the, what was the vote? Was it? Uh, uh, I think only. I think three. There were three votes. Uh, well, they exercised the veto. I think three votes against it. And um, but, but also, you know, that they are they they are now talking about putting the S three hundred air defense system, which is more advanced, into Syria, and saying now, with in view of the attack, there's no reason why they shouldn't do it. That they held off till now, uh, but uh, they're talking now, and so they're saber rattling and doing a lot. And for a guy who has put very little into Syria, he's, he's uh, able to maneuver it into a very strategic position. Did he call Prime Minister Netanyahu to wish him a happy 70th? Uh, I don't know. I think both of them are pretty busy. I think I read I mean, somewhere that, that Russia released a statement in honor of the day, I think. I'm not sure. I yeah, think maybe. Yeah. Maybe. And uh, there's a debate going on whether the Romanians actually were talked about moving the embassy. The president has come out against it, the president of Romania, and the prime minister supported it. So I don't know where that outcome of that is going to be. And, of course, the decision to move to for the American embassy is coming up soon. Wait a second. So, so Guatemala's in, right? They're, they're definite, correct? The Guatemala. Guatemala is in, but there's a court challenge that they have to resolve. And now Romania is a question mark. Are there others that are definitely in at this point? Is Honduras in? Uh, Honduras I don't know. They're is, in? Um, uh, is talking about coming in June. Now, the prime thing. minister has declared that if you're within the first 10 to do it, then you're going to get some big benefits. There's a, there seems to be some type of door prize if you're one of the first <laughs> 10 nations to put the, to put the embassy in Jerusalem. You saw that? 
<laughs> I, I did no, but but I did. They did say that the first ten would would be the ones who would be acknowledged and whose actions would you know earn them credits for, for yeah. you know once the, the the ship leaves the dock, it's it's harder to right. credit people. Yeah, I think he said special accommodations or special right, something. Looking at places and things that they could. Right. By the way, you saw the picture of the sign, the U.S. Embassy sign that um, you know that they're going to be putting on the road, you know, showing everybody where to go. It was already online. The uh, the the sign manufacturer had posted it. Um, you know, it's, it, it says you know Shagrir Arzadabrit, uh, USA Embassy, with a with an arrow going in the correct direction. At least I hope it's the correct direction. Uh, so that we're getting closer and closer. The president, we are told, and we are told it was reported almost immediately he will not be there on the 14th of May. But now, supposedly, there's a report that um, that Ivanka might be in Israel for it. Have you heard that? I've heard that high level representation may come. I don't know who it will be. All right, uh, let's. And it's no point speculating at this point. It's coming yeah. soon. Yeah. I, I do think that they're scaling it down somewhat. That's the report I heard in Israel, but I don't know to what degree that is true. Well, that might be in response to finding out that the president ain't going to be there. That they right know. and the vice president. Right but, and the vice president. Uh, all right, it's let, still let, a courageous move, and it oh, yeah. still deserves recognition. All right, let's talk about the sanctions. Um, and Nikki Haley had one perspective on sanctions against Russia. I mean, I think I think everyone in Washington, everyone in Washington, I think the White House would even agree with her that Russian companies that in fact support Syrian chemical weapons in whatever way should in fact have sanctions against them. Would Would you agree with that at least that the White House would would agree to to those at minimum to those type of sanctions? I think a lot will depend on the circumstances and the final outcome of the discussions. Obviously, the Iranians are threatening all sorts of vile consequences if Israel goes ahead with if the U.S. goes ahead with it and blaming a U.S.-Israel consortium with with Riyadh, by the way, uh, as being responsible for everything bad that's happening. Yeah. But I think the the um, we really got to toss Riyadh into every equation now in terms and, of yes. So but, uh, but I think that the banking sanctions, things like that, can be very helpful and really have an impact on um, on Iran, and that uh, they can you know they can spew forth all that they want. But if uh, if if the if the United States decides to move, no business is going to give up the chance of doing business with the United States for uh, business with uh, with Russia with uh, Iran. Did you think the Nikki Haley statement was as much of a gaffe as the media's reporting in terms of the sanctions that she was uh, that she mentioned Sunday? Well, she said she doesn't get confused, so maybe there's more behind it. Meaning that that she that she essentially knows what the intention of of the White House is, but shouldn't have said it publicly, right? Or or they change their minds, which they're entitled to do, or something else. I mean, any one of those things are possible. Interesting. The February drone that uh, Israel uh, shot down was, in fact, armed. Right? Israel has confirmed that it was, in fact, yes. armed. So, so what was the intention? The intention was to bring understood, understood. Is it possible that even though we understand that that drone was armed, that it's still possible that that drone's goal or the mission for that drone was simply to see how far it can get in, and it not necessarily it's possible and not necessarily true that it, in fact, would have attacked and would have. Uh, I mean, it's, it's seek to cause damage? Is that possible? Or the fact that it's armed tells us that this was a terror attack? It was a terror attack by any definition, regardless. It's it's pretty conclusive that they would not have sent an armed uh, drone if they didn't intend to use it in some way. It wasn't merely to demonstrate that they could. The goal, first and foremost, 
purpose was to show that Israel was vulnerable, and the and look at the statements that followed, which uh, extolled that that they proved that they could penetrate and they could, you know, the inviolate Israel is proven to be a myth. So all the and all the things that you cited could be true simultaneously without being contradictory. Right. Every day of its seventy-year existence. Not only has it grown, and not only has everything that we continue to cite happened in Israel, but every single day they have to be on guard for some creative method of the enemy to infiltrate Israeli airspace and to get into Israel on the ground. It's like and thank God Israel is developing means to to counter it. You know that Israel discovered already nineteen tunnels under the border. Now people have to understand these are not burrows; these are really deep tunnels. The last one was thirty meters deep. With huge infrastructure, communications, um, uh, the structures themselves use tons and tons of of, uh, of concrete that cost at least a million dollars to build, maybe more. And uh, Israel is now developing a fence that goes 100 feet down, 30, 15 feet up, and releases uh, material if it encounters a vacuum like a tunnel and fills it. And so the, that that also frustrates uh, some of the Gaza people. Why they uh, Hamas turns to some of the other means because you know they, they're attacking above ground, they're attacking with rockets, they're attacking below ground in the tunnels, and now they're attacking across the ground with the attempts to break through the, the fence. And people who say, "Well, what does it mean?" You know, they pull down barbed wires. So, you know, people do that. No, this is an attempt to break through, and you don't have another line of defense after that. Where to, to thousands of people who live in Israeli communities along the border. Thank God the IDF is there, the IDF sees them, the IDF watches them, and then they burn tires so you can hardly see, you know, for a good part of the space. And they and, and they don't fire at innocent uh, people. They're firing at terrorists, by and large. And they don't fire until somebody actually tries to either pull a gun, do something, um, you know, deadly, or tries to cross the border and penetrate Israel. You cannot allow, you can't allow one person in, let alone 10 or 20 or 50 because once you breach that, then there's no end to it. We know how the world media reacts to this. Is Israeli media being, uh, being how should I put it, reasonable when it comes to activities on the Gaza border? I think overall, but of course, you know, they're highly critical, critical of Netanyahu anyway. Right. Um, yeah, so they become hypercritical of anything that, that looks wrong. You know, they, there was a mistake, a glitch, so there was a call-up of reserves that wasn't intended, and that, of course, becomes a big story um, <laughs> when things like that just happen. Did they work out Did they work out the whole Yom Zikaron, Yom Atzimut ceremony? Did it go off without a hitch? Everything uh, work out with the... Uh, with More the... or less. Netanyahu took longer than he was supposed to, <laughs> and there's still now the recriminations afterwards, uh, blaming different people for ineptitude or mistakes that were made and stuff. Yeah, so the the national sport continues. Finally, are you uh, are you worried about the inevitable change of leadership in Libya that seems to be coming down the road? It's not just Libya. We have a lot of elections coming up that that uh, could be pretty significant in their outcome. Uh, Libya obviously is one of those that's important, but I don't think that the out, that the election is going to determine anything for the longer future. Mm. Uh, Cuba, first non-Castro mm. leadership in quite a while, huh? Anything? A pretty tough guy, tough line on, on the U.S. relationship, and I don't know that we should expect some great liberalization uh, coming. He's younger. He's, I think he's 56, so it represents a whole new a, a generational shift, as well as uh, you know, the, the first time for many of them that 
the leader of their country isn't, I think, for 60 or 70 percent of Cubans and doesn't have Castro in his name. Right. Amazing. All right. Enjoy Great Neck. Enjoy the 70th. Today, again, the 5th of ER. It was an Erev Shabbat 70 years ago that the state was declared. Let's all celebrate that. And uh, and everybody in the community, please take it seriously. Please, I'm begging you, please take it seriously. Tell our children and grandchildren, uh, uh, no matter what background they're from, no matter what school they go to, tell our children and grandchildren that, in fact, we are living through miraculous times, and that is an accurate word. That is not an embellishment in any way. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Malcolm, thank you so much for a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. And welcome back from the Holy Land. There he is, Malcolm Honline, Friday morning broadcast, Arab Shabbos, 21 minutes after the hour.